Good morning, Crossing Church. Pastor Daniel here. Hope you guys are doing well here this morning. I wish we could all be together, but I trust that the Lord is going to use this Sunday in a mighty way to build us up. Man, you got to love this state, huh? Now, I'm recording this on Saturday afternoon. It's snowing consistently, and it's maybe starting to stick a little bit. But boy, oh boy, what a way to start spring break, huh? All right, well, this morning... We got something real special planned for you guys. We have a sermon from Pastor Aaron that was preached about four years ago. So this sermon's from Psalm chapter one. And there's two reasons why we decided to go through this sermon for this Sunday. The first is because typically in the summer, we go through the Psalms. Uh, and this summer, we're gonna kick back off our summer in the Psalms. So I want this sermon, Psalm chapter one, to be somewhat of an introduction for us and prepare us for what we are going to receive here this summer as we're pining and longing for those summer sunny days where we can wear flip-flops and shorts. The second reason why we decided to do this is because we are about to get into one of the sweetest sections, not just in Exodus, but in all of the Old Testament. I really believe these next three chapters, Exodus 32 through 34, are some of the most explicit gospel preaching chapters in all of the Old Testament. So we wanted to be together as God's people when we go through these passages. So this morning, I pray and I hope that it encourages your heart that you are built up in the faith and that you would share this video with some of your friends and families and that they would maybe see what it means to be the blessed man and which path that you are on and which path that they are on. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get it all started. Lord Jesus, thank you for this means of technology. Lord, as we pine to be together, we trust that it is your will that we are to do this here today. Lord, we pray for those who are working this storm. We ask just that you would keep them safe, that you would uh, use this storm to draw people to yourself, to build up your church. Lord, that you would get much glory from the needs that are going to be met as a result of this storm. And Lord Jesus, I pray just that you would be working in your people, the crossing church, that you would be working through us, that we would bear witness to the gospel as we hear it preached here and now, and we take it to the ends of the earth. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray it in your name, amen. Enjoy your Sunday. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. We start our series in the Psalms, Summer in the Psalms, and we go through the Psalms during the summertime because we know people are gone. So we don't want to do a series like we just got done with the book of James where we know that people sometimes miss. Sometimes in the summer people are gone, things come up. And so we go, Summer in the Psalms. So each summer, I mean each Sunday, we take a new Psalm so you won't miss anything. And, and Gary opened the Psalms up uh, about four years ago. But we're going to redo it because Psalm 1 is kind of the introduction of the whole series. Psalm 1 is this 30,000 foot view in which lays the roadmap of what true life is, what a blessed life is. And then throughout the, the summer, we will unpack that as we go through each individual psalm. So if you would, will you please stand as we read Psalm 1? We'll be on page 448 in the ESV. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair around you. We will be on 448 on that black Bible. And this is what Psalm 1 says, the author. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit for it in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff, and the wind drives away. Therefore, verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for Psalm 1. That is just really a psalm about life and what it means and sets the tone of what a blessed life looks like in your economy. And so, Lord, I pray that there are people here that uh, do not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Um, that today would be the day that you would open up their hearts and their minds and their ears to your word, to your good news here, that they would recognize that the path that they're on leads to destruction. And Lord, we thank you for Psalm 1 that is open and honest of that and lets us know and informs us where we are. And for those of us that have, by God's grace, uh, been transplanted to the path of life, Lord, we pray that you continually keep us on that path as we continue to be immersed in your word and in your community. Lord, we ask the Spirit to move in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and be seated. Psalm 1, I've entitled the message, Delight Determines Your Destination. Delight Determines Your Destination. And in 1988, raise your hand if you're, if you're around 1988, can remember 1988? All right, a couple of us, all right. Bobby McFerrin sang this song that just captured the world's attention. It was entitled, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Who remembers that song? Good, we're going to sing it together, all right. Now, I got this allergy voice right now, so you guys need to help me out. So here it goes. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. In every life, we have some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. All right, good. So you guys know that song. And then about some 25 years later, another gentleman, Pharrell Williams, released a song called Happy. And we saw the same response from the world, right? And you guys get to sing along with me as well, the chorus, if you know it. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. Now, I got to pause right here because I love this song. But I didn't know, you know, the tune is so catchy. I didn't know what the lyrics were. And then when I read it, it might seem crazy what I'm about to say. I'm like, I have no idea what you're about to say in the next three lines. (laughs) But I'm singing along in the thing like I know what I'm saying. I'm just, you know, you guys know, you don't know the words, you just mumber something. It is not what I thought it said, all right? So here we go. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. Sunshine, she's here. You can take away. I'm a hot air balloon. I could go to space with the air like I don't care, baby, by the way. All right, someone translate that for me. Anybody? (laughs) Can anyone in here translate? Because I'm happy. Clap your hands if you feel like a room without a roof. All right. I was thinking about that. I was like, man, that sounds like, right now, that sounds like a sunburn waiting to happen. Not not a happy place, right? Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth, because I'm happy. Now, I love the song. And and again, that song, and and Don't Worry, Be Happy, it, it captivates us. Why? Because everyone in here, it's the human condition. Every human being wants to be happy, don't we? 
We all want to have joy in our life. We don't want to be miserable. We want to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. Raise your hand in here if you want to have a joyful, happy life. Raise your hand. We all do. We all do. Then why are there so many people that are like Debbie Downers, right? They're not happy. It's like, oh man, life sucks. Woe is me. Why is that the case? Well, I think Psalm 1 will address this question in the general principle again. And Psalm 1 gives us two paths to choose from. One of these paths leads to pure joy and happiness. It truly does. Not only for now, but for all eternity. The other leads to maybe a temporary happiness and joy, but in the end, it leads to the emptiness and death. And the question for us this morning is, which path are you on? That's the question we want to answer. Which path are you on? Last week, again, we finished up the book of James. Um, the book of James is a very black and white book. It's a didactic book. It's a, it's a book that teaches, but teaches in a very straightforward way. It teaches in clauses like if then. If this is true, then this is true. And it gives a couple very clear illustrations. The book of Psalms is not the book of James at all. It's an entirely different genre, a different style of writing in which the psalm, I think there's about seven or eight people that have penned the psalms, over the 150, it's, it's poetry. Um, the literary styles are just, I mean, there's a ton of them. There's idioms, there's hyperbole, there's parallelism, uh, there's poetry. And they're all communicated through song. Every psalm in here is a song that was sung by the nation Israel in their history. So like when we open up with song and music, this is what all these songs were meant to be. They're meant to be songs. The, the truth is communicated through song, through music, through us lifting up our voices, our hearts, and our minds to Jesus Singing and songs have been part of the human experience ever since Adam and Eve. In fact, some people believe, some commentators, some theologians believe that before the fall, before Genesis 3 and Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve communicated to each other mainly through singing. Mainly through singing. In particular, we see this really penned out in Genesis 2.23 when Adam first sees Eve. Right? You guys remember the story, Adam, um, the Lord puts him to sleep. Um, after he got done naming all the animals and the flowers and the gardens and cultivating the land, and there's nothing that corresponds to him. So Adam goes to sleep. He wakes up and sees Eve. And you can imagine the shock, right? Because he's like, man, you're, you're, you're not an elk, right? You're, there's, <laughs> there's something different about you, right? You, you kind of look like me, but you have some unique features in and I like those features. And, and he breaks out and this says this. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's like Adam is singing at the top of his lungs when he first sees Eve. Singing in song is, is nothing new. It's been since Adam and Eve. And the book of Psalms, again, is 150 different psalms, songs that have been written over a span of 800 to 1,000 years in Israel's history. And they're broken up into five sections. We might think about the book of Psalms as like Israel's greatest hits, right? We all have cable. We all seen the infomercials, right? The, the best disco songs of this 1970s. Who, who, who has those albums? Raise your hand. Oh, come on. Don't be ashamed. Don't be, no? Okay. How about this? All right, getting a little bit closer. How about the best, best rock anthems? Love songs. The best, the best rock anthems, love songs. How has that one? Love songs. Are they, no one, anyone? No? All right, well, you guys, are, you guys are boring, I guess. All right, holy cow. Um, all right, 
But this, you might look, you might see the top worship songs of 1000 BC. This is what we have right here in the Psalms. We have 150 of the greatest Psalms ever written. It might be like this. And we get like Psalm 23 and Psalm 51 from King David, you know. You know how they like to pump them up. Or you get Psalm 78 from Asaph, one of the greatest songwriters who ever lived. Or, you know, we even get an oldie but goodie from my man Moses, you know, Psalm 90. You know, you can just see this happening. Well, God has given us these psalms to instruct us. Because I personally, I'm more of an epistles guy. I'm more of like an Apostle Paul, Apostle James. I like the black and white. I like the imperatives and the commands. But how many of you love the book of Psalms? How many of you, it's like when times get tough, you go to the book of Psalms? Yeah, yeah. Because it resonates with how God has wired and created you. And that's the beauty of Scripture. In the Psalms, you can feel the praise. And sometimes you can feel the doubt, can't you? It's in the Psalms that we, we see great times of thanksgiving. But then we also see sometimes of confusion. It's in the Psalms that we, we see great victories, but sometimes great defeats. It's in the Psalms where we see great joy. An overflow of happiness. But it's also time we see the author and the songwriter give us great pain or sings of great pain. You love these psalms because they're songs about your life. You can see your life in these psalms. You can find your struggles. You can find your joys in these psalms, can't you? We all can. You can feel life in these psalms. I think this is why so many people love the psalms, because they are so real. They are so tangible. They're like gritty, if you know what I mean. You can feel life all over them. One said this, it is ultimately a book about praising God through song in the midst of everyday experiencing, giving words to songwriters, expressing their emotions and experience that range from human failing and suffering to God's faithfulness and saving acts that bring us joy, hope, and happiness. So that's the short introduction. Let's look at Psalm 1 together. Again, this psalm is the introduction to the book of Psalms. This gives us the roadmap of what every psalm after this from 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 2 to 150 is unpacking. And what we see in verses 1 and 2 is we see the happy man or the happy woman. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man or woman. Blessed means supremely happy or fulfilled. One of the major themes in the book of Psalms is that of blessing or being blessed. A, a blessing, it, means, it just means happiness. It means ultimate joy, fulfillment. And in the book of Psalms, in the Old Testament, the word bless in its various forms are used like 209 times. Well, 51 of those times, almost 25% of them is used in the book of Psalms. So if you want to know what it means to be happy, if you want to know what it means to be blessed, we need to know the book of Psalms because it is everywhere. And in Psalm 1, it starts out with, blessed is the man. This happiness and blessing is a state of being. And here in Psalm 1, this word blessed is in the plural. So it's much more intense than even our word says it here in the English, blessed. We don't get the, the intensity in which the happiness and the joy and the gladness and the blessedness that the, that the, the psalmist is writing about. It, it, another commentator translates like this, oh, the blessedness of the man or the woman. Or the state of happiness. This, again, it's a state of, of, of being. It's just not a one-time event that I bless you with a gift. But this is a state of being. This is a lifestyle. Spurgeon said this, it says, this is a joyful acclamation of the graciousness of man's felicity. Felicity means intense happiness. That's what's behind this word blessed. I have a question for you. Does that describe the characteristic of your life? Are you in a state of happiness? 
blessedness this morning? When was the last time you just said, man, I am a blessed man. I am a blessed woman. When was the last time you said that? And then, and then ask yourself, well, what is the reason why you said that? Was it because you just received a, a great gift? That's awesome. That's part of the blessing. Or is it more consistent? Is there more consistent in your pattern when you look over your life and you see your life and how the Lord has blessed you? And you say, man, I see the relationships. I see the growth. I see the influence. Ultimately, I see my happiness in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because that is the foundation of everything else. When is the last time you said, man, I am a blessed man? Well, what we see in Psalm 1 is the blessed man is described to us or the blessed woman is described to us. And what he gets right to the point is what he or she is not to do and what he or she is to do. And again, right off the bat, we see that the first description is in the negative. What the blessed man or happy woman is not. Verse 1, who blessed is the man or blessed is the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, why does he begin here in the negative? Because he wants to put us all on the evil level, level playing field. We all start out on this path. We all start out on this path. Apart from Christ and his saving grace, we are all sinners. We're born sinners. We are born and we will grow to become scoffers if we remain on this path. And our life will, 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 will show that. Because there seems to be a progression here on this path. I mean, there's some debate between the commentators, but I think there seems to be a progression from walking to standing to sitting. And I think what the psalmist is emphasizing in this song is this is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. I like to maybe think of it as this way uh, at a concert. You know, you're hearing a concert in the park, and all of a sudden you're hearing this music. It says, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. All of a sudden you hear this thing, and you all of a sudden start to walk to where you're hearing this music. And then when you get there, you stop, and you stand, and you're listening to it, and you're receiving everything. You're embracing what you're hearing. It's doing something to your soul. And then finally you take a seat, and then you start to scream or, or sing and proclaim along with the music. There's a progression here. You're walking in the counsel of the wicked. You're standing in the way, and then finally you're seating. And not only you're seated, but notice what you, you sit and scoff. You start to participate in the scoffing. You start to participate in proclaiming the ungodly, uh, ungodly counsel against the righteous. Now, this could be something very blatant, you know, like the atheist, or like you read those posts that, you know, when a Christian article comes out or someone mentions God, an athlete, an entertainer, or, or a newspaper article or whatever, and you see the comments on the end, and you're like, you know, if you're a Christian, you're, you're weak-minded. It's very blatant. You can think of guys like Bill Maher. Or sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's subtle, the proclaimers, uh, the scoffers that says, well, that's good for you, but that's not good. That's not, it's not worth it for me. That's a subtle way of proclaiming ungodly counsel. And what I think the psalmist is saying is this is a picture of a down roll spiral. Once you start rolling or once you start walking down this path, you pick up speed and you pick up mass. You know, think of like a snowball and it starts at the top of the mountain. When it starts out, it's small, but as it continues to go down, what happens? It picks up speed and it picks up mass, doesn't it? And this is what the psalmist is saying. This is not what the blessed life is. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the way of, and don't sit in the seat of scoffers. It's like this. Let me give you some examples of what this might look like. 
It's like the man or the woman who says, oh man, marijuana's harmless, right? I can handle it. And then years later, where they find themselves, they find themselves in detox, right? Or it'd be like the person or the man or the woman who looks at the pornography on the computer. It's not hurting anyone, it's just me. And then the next thing you know, they find themselves on Ashley Madison. This is what sin does. We just talked about this in James. We see the, you know, the, the growth, the birth on how James um, talks about sin, the cycles, the progression of sin. And this is what the psalmist is saying. So he's saying, listen, when we start down this path, it's hard to get off it. And we go from bad to worse. So don't be that guy. Don't be that woman. That's not the way to blessedness. Instead, verse 2 says, this is the way to blessedness. We see that the blessed man and the blessed woman is, they are people who delight in the law of the Lord day and night. They are people who love the scripture. Psalm 1 said, blessed is the man, but his delight, her delight is in the law of the Lord. And he or she meditates on a day and night. The word delight here is another powerful word, just like blessed or happy. Just like the wicked is active in scoffing, the blessed man is active in meditating in the scriptures that bring a delight like no other. Delighting is a longing for something. You, you take great pleasure in it. Think about the things that you take great pleasure in. Think about the things that you delight in. I think there's one thing I was thinking about this. What do we all delight in? Wouldn't we all agree, I think, that most of us, if not all of us, delight in summer? Who, who delights in summer? Raise your hand. I know all you school kids are like, man, I love the summer. And I know all your moms are like, I love the summer right? Because it's, it's school's out. We get to swim. We get to hike. We get to go camping. We get to go down to Old Town and, and listen to concerts and enjoy great food outside under the star. I mean, you, you, some of you read a good book in the morning on the porch and drink that perfect cup of coffee, right? We love the summer. We delight in the summer. It moves our emotions. It moves our happiness. Some of you like good food, good, food, good music. The taste of Fort Collins is coming up. Many of you are just looking forward to the taste of Fort Collins and the beauty of the culture that we get to experience here. Or that next blockbuster movie, right? Jason Bourne coming out. Yeah, yeah. Tarzan, Tarzan. Looks pretty cool, right? All right, now, how about the Ninja Turtles? That comes out this weekend. All you closet Ninja Turtle fans, go ahead and raise your hand. Go ahead. Don't be ashamed. There ain't no shame in your game. All right, yeah, yeah. Right? But you guys delight and you see, the, you see the previews and you're like, oh man, I can't wait for that thing to come. It does something to your soul. It makes you happy. For us, the Santini families, one of the things that we delight right now is the Pittsburgh Penguins in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yes, Daniel. The only other guy in here that delights in that, right? And that's okay, whatever, you know? But we order our, we order our family schedule to watch the games because we delight in it. And that's what happens. You order your life around what you delight in. So what do you order your life around? The psalmist here in Psalm 1 says that the happy, the blessed person is one who first and foremost orders their lives around the truth, the principles, and the commands of Scripture. That's number one. That's foundational. Then everything else flows from that is a good gift. The word law here doesn't mean like um, laws like you break laws. It means instruction or teaching. And that's what we are to delight in. Why? Because all of us in here need direction in life on how to be happy. And it's here where that direction is given from God himself. It is here in this book where the Lord reveals his will to us. Where the creator, the one that has created us, the one that has authored your life and mine, then gives us the path of the blessed life. Follow me 
in here. It's right here. It's not a mystery. It's not hidden. It's given to us in black and white and in English. I love Psalm 19 because it gives us the depth and the power of God's instruction for our lives. And I can't put it any better. It says this in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, <coughs> Excuse me, and in keeping them there is great reward. Notice we see six titles or synonyms for the scriptures. It's the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the fear, the rules. Secondly, we see the six characteristics or adjectives that describes how awesome the scripture is. The scripture is perfect, it's sure, a right, they're pure, they're clean, they're true. And finally, we see the six practical effects of scripture that they have. What they produce when we get in them. They revive our soul. They give us life. They, they make you wise. They, they give you joy. They give you sight. They give you understanding. They're always irrelevant and they lead down lead you down paths of righteousness. They never lead you astray. This is the book that we are to delight in. The best example that I ever heard about someone meditating on it, the word meditation literally means to, um, um, to scheme, to plot. You know, when you're about to, you know, maybe a, a general is about to go to war, he, he plots out his plan, he, he meditates on it, he chews it, he thinks of everything. This is what the word meditate looks like. That we, that we plot the scriptures for a blessed life. And the best example that I ever heard of it, and it's just for you from now, was this one young lady, I think she was even French, she was a French woman, um, that uh, came to know the Lord. And, and then the Lord saved her from this just crazy life, and she just, she just ate up the scriptures. I mean, every day she meditated on the scriptures, she dove in. But then she was struck with blindness. She got like a bad uh, illness or something along that sickness. And, and she went, she went, she had, she blind, she lost her sight. But that didn't deter her. All of a sudden she learned Braille and she just started, she just started reading Braille to the point that her fingers got so callous that, that she lost the feel of touch. And all of a sudden she was just heartbroken because she couldn't read the Bible anymore. So then she went to kiss it goodbye, and she found out that her lips were even more sensitive than her fingers, and she started to read the word with her mouth. That's what we're talking about. That's the meditation we're talking about, the delight, the passion for the word. Now, obviously, that's, that's, that's like amazing, but we all have that passion in us because we have the spirit of God. He all gives us that desire for the word. So how often do you read, study, meditate over the Word of God? Do you do it? Do you delight in it more than the Penguins winning the Stanley Cup championship? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, every, every one of you except for like me and the Daniel. That's probably about it, right? Okay. So I just want to give you a good, you know, because sometimes you're like, oh, man, I suck. But no, you love them more than you love the Penguins. So that's good. All right, good. <laughs> how about you love the Scriptures more than the Denver Broncos? Now we're getting a little bit closer to home, right? How about you love the scriptures more than your job, more than your hobbies, right? What do you delight in? Again, this should be foundational. See, the happy man, the happy woman immerses herself or himself in the book. That doesn't mean we sit down 24 hours a day, seven days a week and read this. But what it does mean is that there's a constant reflection going on in our minds and our hearts. 
on what we've learned, what we've heard from uh, you know, the, the Sunday gatherings or, or in life group or in our discipleship journey groups or, or just when we're out and people are sharing Scripture. We're reflecting on the Scripture throughout the day. When a situation comes up at work, when a situation comes up at school, we, we apply the Scriptures. The Scriptures inform us how to live. It helps us orient our lives towards God's and His ways and His will. Paul Tripp says this. I love this. This is very clarifying to me. He says this. He says, you live in a world, you and I live in a world where every day, somehow, some way, you are counseled because everything you encounter in the world moves the way it moves from the vantage point of some kind of worldview. All the information out there that we receive is flowing from a certain worldview. Everyone has a certain worldview, right? So the person that writes the news believes in something. The, the person who writes a television sitcom has a perspective on life and is trying to change your perspective. The, the musician who writes the lyrics has a perspective on life. The politician has a perspective on life. Everywhere you go, you and I are counseled by what we hear on someone's worldview. So the question again for us is where are you getting your information for life? Where is your primary source? What is your primary source? Is it NPR radio? Is it Fox News? Is it the Wall Street Journal? Is it that one little blog that you love to read? Is it Facebook? Is it Dr. Phil? Or is it the Scriptures? Where is your primary source of information? Because, hey, and all that stuff, NPR Radio, Fox News, um, your, your blog, you know, it, there's truth there. There's God's truth in there. You hear that. They just don't disseminate heresy every second of the day. Because all truth is God's truth, but it's still gearing you. They use that truth to gear you, uh, steer you, gear you, steer you away from God. They use the truth of God's word to steer you away. The word of God steers you into blessing and happiness. It steers you in the right direction. So that's number one. Secondly, we see in verses three and four, we see the fruit of each of those paths taken. First, we see the fruitful path in verse three. He or she is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit for its seasons, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Now listen, if you meditate and delight on the Word of God, there's an assumption there, and that assumption is you're a Christian, you're a believer, you have repented of your sins, and you've trusted in Christ's life, death, and forgiveness for your salvation. Because 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. So there's an assumption here that if you delight and you're meditating on the word, it's because the Lord has transformed your heart to that. And notice that the psalmist sings, you and I who are in Christ is a tree planted. Now don't, over, don't, don't pass over that word planted. A lot of times we just go like, I'm a tree. But no, you're a planted tree. And that word planted is really important. It means literally to be transplanted. And so as you're walking down this path of the wicked, the scoffers, the sinner that leads to, as we see, the end destruction, God saves you by his grace and transplants you and me and puts us on the path of life. We are a tree planted. God's grace, God's grace rescues us from the wicked path that we are born on. We are not wild trees that just sprout up, but we are trees chosen and planted purposely by God so that we can bear much fruit for him, for his glory and our joy. So if you're in here and you're a tree planted, you love the grace of God. You love the mercy of God. You love the gospel of God. 
because it has transplanted us. It has crossed us over from death to life. And what we see here is we see, because we've been transplanted, we are fed by the life-giving stream of the grace of God. You can always tell when you're on a road trip, if you ever drive through like southern New Mexico or Arizona or Nevada, you know, some of those desert places, you can always tell where the streams of water are, aren't there? Can't you? Because what you always see in the midst of all this brown is you see this little green stretch, either trees or grass or whatnot. And you're like, there is the stream. There is the water. And that's what we are as Christians, as trees planted next streams of water. When we go out into the world, it's, it's brown. It's desert. But we see the life-giving grace of God and the trees that it feeds and flourishes. That's us as Christians. So when we're out there, people should look at you and say, there is life, there is shade, there is food, there is security. Whatever you guys have is what we need. We are planted by streams of the grace of God. And when we do that, three things happen. First, we bear fruit in its season. Think of fruitfulness here as in terms of fruits of the Spirit. We, the fruit that we bear as Christians... Biblical, biblical prosperity, which we'll talk on, is the fruit of the Spirit. We, we grow in love and joy and peace. We grow in patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and serving one another and laying down our lives for one another and bearing one another's burdens. This is the fruit that we produce. And notice it's in a season. Fruit trees don't produce fruit every single day of every year, do they? They're always growing and maturing but there are seasons where there's fruit produced. There are times where the seed is planted and it takes time for its roots to grow deep and it's time for it to grow and to mature. There's a time where we got to pick the weeds around or maybe save it from the harmful bugs that are coming to try and destroy and eat our leaves, right? There are times where it's dormant, where, the, where we need rest. But then there's also a time to bud. And we know that if you're a believer, you will bear fruit and you will mature. And you will be a blessing to those around you. Also, as we meditate on God's word, as we bear fruit, we will also be able to discern his will for our lives at the right times, at the, in the right place, and at the right opportunities. You will bear and act um, fruit for his glory and for our joy. In major decisions, but also in minor decisions, the word informs us. Secondly, well, if we're a tree planted by God, our leaves do not winter. This is awesome. That means there's an eternal permanence to our lives and fruit. They cannot be cut down. They cannot die. They cannot rot. You will never lose your worth, your beauty, or salvation as a child of the king. They will never wither. And finally, three, everything we do, we prosper. Now, we've got to be careful about this word prosper, living in America and the prosperity movement, because when we think about prospering, we think about what? Money. Success, right? Now, God might do that. He might bless you financially. And that's awesome. In some cases, He does. In fact, all of us living in America are prosperous in that way. Because we're in the top richest percent of the 90s. Uh, there's like, uh, of 90, the 90s, we're the top 3% in the world as far as wealth in the United States. If you make $16,000 more, you're in the top 3%. You might be the top 5% of wealthiest in the world. So we do, he does bless us in America this way. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than blessing us financially or success in the classroom or on the field or in the boardroom. It's this. The world says he with the most toys wins, right? 
That's what, that's what, if you're prosperous, that's what the world says. Show me your toys. Show me your success. Show me your status. But we don't, we don't, we don't look at uh, success according to the world. We look at it according to the Bible. We, as we said, you've probably heard, you never see a U-Haul pulling, uh, you never see a, uh, a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? With all the stuff behind it. Because the Bible says, what is it profit for a man if he gains the world but lose his soul? You lose at that, that game. Biblical prosperity, biblical blessing, biblical happiness is the result of a particular lifestyle. It's a result of diving into the word and meditating on God's word. Some translators translate this part, whatsoever it produces will come to maturity. So a successful life, a happy life, um, a life that is prosperous is a life that becomes what we were created to become, and that is worshipers of Christ. That's what biblical prosperity is, is that you and I become what we were created for, and that's a worshiper of Christ, that we are to be conformed into the image of Jesus. This is a fruitful, prosperous life in the Scriptures. Therefore, being conformed to the image of Christ is being a healthy tree that's planted, which means that the Word of Christ must dwell in you richly. And as His Word, His characteristics dwell in you, then what flows out of you is His heart, His will, His desires, His passion. I love what Jim Elliott says about the Bible. He says this, it's Christ in print. That's what this Word is. It's, it's Christ manifests Himself in print. And so as we consume the Word, we are conformed to the image of Christ. I mean, think about it. How many of you guys have ever gone to a, a mission trip on a, to a third world country? Just raise your hand. A lot of us have. How many of you guys have ever been to a third world country? And you see how some of those people do. Okay, so a lot of times when people go on mission trips to a third world country, we come back and we're like, those guys are amazing. That's incredible how they live. They're the happiest people in the world, right? Raise your hand if that's what the, the majority of the impact you guys come back. And you look at, the, and you look at their lifestyles. Like they don't have anything, but they are so happy. Why is that? Because they have the thing that is most foundational. Their happiness is in Christ. That's their foundation. And then everything else is a good gift, is a blessing. Third world people who are in Christ and don't have everything that we have, yet they seem to be the happiest people on earth because they have Jesus and He is enough. And then everything else is blessing. So, in contrast, secondly, so that's the fruitful life that, the, that being embedded and delighted and meditating on the Word is. In contrast, the futile fruit is in verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff of the wind that drives away. The wicked are those that don't look at this book. They scoff at this book. They laugh at this book. They say, this is a bunch of nonsense. It's fable. It's not even true. How can you follow that? That's their heart, the wicked. And basically the psalmist sings is a very black and white the gravity of walking down this path. He says, in the end, the wicked life is useless. That path is useless. And he uses the image here of uh, chaff during the grain harvest. And what would happen is the people would gather the grain, the husk and everything. They would take them to like a little, little pit, a little cement deal. They'd have the animals walk around. The people would walk around. They beat them with like tools. And then what happened is the grain would get loose from the husk, and they take pitchforks, and they throw the, all, everything on the ground in the air, and, and the, the weight of the grain, what was useful, would fall, and then the wind would blow the chaff away, what was useless. And then we'd gather up all the chaff, and they would burn it. 
And so what the psalmist is saying here is saying, hey, if you follow down the path of the wicked, if you reject God and his word and his gospel, his good news, he says this, this is ultimately will be the end of your life. It will be useless. Adam, I mean, uh, James Boyce really put this in perspective for me. When we hear about the lies of the world and what the world says will make you prosperous. And again, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Listen to what he said about Adam and Eve in this temptation that is the same temptation that you and I face today where the world says, you follow me and and you follow this path and this will bring you joy. This will bring you success. This is the way you will prosper. This is what he said. In Eden, the devil told Eve that if she disobeyed God by eating of the forbidden tree, her eyes would be open and she would be like God, knowing good and evil, Genesis 3, 5. But she did not become like God. She became like Satan. And her eyes were not open. They were open but now they were closed and they became blind to the spiritual realities of a blessed life. I was like, whoa, that puts it in perspective, doesn't it? You see, a happy life, a delightful life, a blessed life, a prosperous life is saturated by the gospel and God's word. It is the thing that navigates us through a Genesis 3 world. It lets us know what is truly important in life-giving. Spurgeon said this. He says, when I see a person that has a Bible that is falling apart, it usually belongs to a person whose life is not falling apart. So that is the second principle. Then finally, we see the third principle, the final destination of the two paths, verses 5 and 6. We began with delight determines your destination, and here we see the de- de- destination, Psalm 1-5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And what this song does, it ends with a definitive end, a certain destination depending on the path that you are on. Those who reject the Lord's path, that reject the gospel, that reject his life, death on behalf of them, him as a substitute to save them, they walk down their own path, they will perish and not be able to stand in the judgment. But those who receive the Lord and the gospel and follow his path will not perish, but be like a tree transplanted, and they will receive the righteousness of Christ and they will stand in the congregation of the righteous. And the question to you and me is, which path are you on? Which path are you on? You know, in America, here's a real interesting thing in studying this. In America, we pride ourselves on being individuals, don't we? We pride ourselves on, I can do it on my own. I don't need any of your help. I can do it on my own. That's what it means to be American, right? Well, here's the interesting thing about Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, the wicked, the scoffers, the sinners is all in the plural because you're not an individual. You're not going against the grain. You're going with the flow of everyone else. The individual, the one that does stand against the grain is the one that recognizes God's truth and it's the blessed man, it's the blessed woman in the singular that stands against the tide and that stands on the truth of God's word. So if you truly want to be a trailblazer, you don't go the way of the world. You go the way of Christ. So, as I did, some of you, the question, what path are you on? Some of you need to be transplanted this morning because you're on this path of of destruction. And this is why we preach line by line and verse by verse through books of the book, and we don't sugarcoat it because this is true. We believe this is the reality, and it would be unloving for us not to share this with you. Why? 
because someone shared it with us. Someone cared for us and loved us so much to say, hey, Aaron, you're on this path, and it leads to destruction, but there's a greater, there's a better path, and it leads through the man and the God-man, Jesus Christ. So if, you're, if you need to be transplanted, the Lord's working in your heart right now, and you're looking at your life and going, man, it's not happy. The, the, the trajectory of my life is not blessed. It's pain. It's suffering. I look around and I see the fruit that it's bearing, and what it's bearing is pain and suffering. Sure, sure, there's some love. Sure, there's some happiness. Sure, there's some joyful times because that's the general revelation that God has given us. That's just, it's just common grace that we all have. But we want that specific grace, that eternal grace that will last for a lifetime. Today is a day to, to recognize your need for a Savior, like many of us have, have done by the grace of God. And, and, and all that is, is is repent of your sins. You see your need for a Savior, and you repent, and you look to Christ, and you believe what He has done for you. That day is today for you. So you'll be transplanted off the, the road of destruction to the road of life, and watch the Lord then bless you and prosper you. <coughs> Secondly, there are some of us that have been transplanted and we just need to get back to meditate on the navigational system, the GPS of life. Because maybe we've been just, you know, distracted a little bit. We had a little off-ramp and now we need to get back on it. And we get back on it by meditating the desire in the Word. Many of us maybe start like, I'm going to read through the Bible at the first of the year, January 1, right? <clears throat> January 3, it's like, fail, right? <laughs> Raise your hand. Go ahead. I, I got no shame, right? Hey, but this is the grace of God. Today's a new day. How can you implement getting the word of God in you more often? How can you, how can you make this word the primary source informing you on how to live?